Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Lip Media Podcast. You're listening to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea Gillis. And I'm Steph Page. We're two Canadian expats now living in Australia and the UK. Between the two of us, we've been through the ringer in our travels, experiencing missed flights, volcanic eruptions, and even a terrorist attack. It's not all that extreme, though. We've also experienced heartwarming, life-changing moments and met amazing people along the way. So kick back and listen to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. Welcome to another episode of All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea. And I'm Steph. Ooh, hello, Steph. How's it going? It is going lovely. How about you? Good. I've got a I've got a cat sleeping at my feet this week. I'm cute. I'm doing a little cat sitting. Some friends of mine are in uh, Corfu for the week, so they went to Corfu, left me with their cat, but that's fine. That's and fine. then what are you doing? Well, I'm cat sitting for the week, and then I'm off to Sicily next week. I'm I'm so envious things are opening up a bit more over here. Hence Mm -hmm. my friends being on holiday. I think people are just trying to like get into the countries they can right now before the UK puts them back on a, like a quarantine (laughs) list. Like that's kind of what's happening. You know, when we talked about revenge travel a few weeks ago, yeah, that's what's happening. So everyone's going on vacation. The cat's on vacation this week at my house, loving Mm -hmm. life. Friends are in Corfu. I'm in Sicily. It's my birthday. So, yes, it's true. Your birthday is coming up. Now, you went to Spain a few weeks back, and then you had to quarantine coming back from Spain. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Are you ready if you have to quarantine again Mm. coming back from Sicily? I feel like I'm more mentally prepared now, Mm -hmm. knowing how I managed it last time. Um, So I know what to expect, I think. Okay. Do you have to do anything special going there? So, yeah, there's a form you need to fill out. Um, mm-hmm. which it's hilarious because the group I'm going with, we're on the group chat. We're like, great guys, no, no biggie. Get these forms filled out. And we look, we look at the link. You have to print the form out. You can't do it online. And we're like, who the hell owns a printer? No one's working in the office. None of us own a printer. I'm like, shall we fax this back to them? Shall I send it via carrier pigeon? I'm like, what year is this? But anyways, it's fine. A friend of ours went into the office, printed them out. So we have to fill in this form or... You can do an actual swab test when you get to Italy, but it's optional. So it's like you can either fill out the form or actually get the swab test. So I'm going for the form. My friend Ian, who was on the podcast uh, a few months ago, the one that was stuck in Peru, he's actually in Italy right now or was. Mm, He's in Turin. Yeah. Yes. And he did the swab test. Yes. So yeah, it seems like it's an optional thing though. I'm not going to do the swab test. I'm going to fill out the form. Okay. So I feel like most people would choose that, but yeah, I'm yeah. When you said that, I was like, why would anyone? I mean, the swab test is obviously more reliable, right? It's weird they would make that optional. Like, I feel like a country is gonna have a second wave, and then they're gonna look at that and be like, oh, maybe the swab test shouldn't have been optional. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's maybe I read it wrong, but it didn't seem like you had to do it. But I mean, again, these things can change so quickly. 
Yeah. And you're ready to do it when you land if you have to. If I have to, which I'm not looking forward to it if I do. I know it's very intrusive. I know, Steph, you've had it done. My it literally scrambles your brains. Amazing. For days. Yeah. I mean I'll take a a form, a printed out form if I must, over (laughs) a Q tip shoved up into my brain. But yeah, so I will feed back. Um, this week's episode and next week's episode will obviously be recorded before I go. So yes. if we do say anything and things change really quickly, as we've been saying in all of our episodes for the last few months, some of them do not age well. Yeah. Follow official health guidelines. Exactly. <laughs> but this week, so Steph, have you ever, I mean, we're talking Italy. You've been to Italy. I have, yes. Did you, did you experience any culture shock when you got there? I think I was expecting more than I had because when I went to Italy, it was for Christmas and the city basically shut down. So nothing was open. The streets were empty. There was nothing going on. It was so quiet. Yeah. Well, I guess it's Roman Catholic. You know, they take those holidays seriously. But um, well, that's we're talking about culture shocks today Mm -hmm. in terms of just like some places that. Steph and I have gone where we, you know, experienced quite obvious culture shocks, how we dealt with it, but then other places, you know, that we weren't really expecting mm-hmm. and then kind of just go through, you know, what, what should you do? What are the steps you need to take? Cause I feel like culture shock, this is the one thing when it comes to planning, traveling, people don't plan for, they don't really think about how a different culture can completely shock your system when you get somewhere. And that can ultimately really just put a damper on on your vacation or your travels, or maybe you're an expat somewhere. Um, so this is also just as equally as important to plan for while you're heading out on your travels. Absolutely. Like there's been times where I've planned for it and it still hits me hard too. Yeah. So just knowing coping strategies, recognizing culture shock for what it is, because sometimes you don't even realize. Well, and Um, that's it. Like you said, just even being prepared for it to happen, because I think, You can't really prepare enough where you're like, I won't be. It's not going to happen to me. It will. But as you said, know what you're experiencing is just culture shock. Now, I think, Steph, you had a list that you, when we were doing some research that you found about, what is it, the five stages? Yeah, I was, you know, reading up a whole bunch on what other people have experienced and what their coping strategies are. And on Horizon Unknown, I actually came across the five stages of culture shock, which really resonated with me. And do you want to go through stage by stage? Yeah, let's go stage through stage. And then we can, and I think this list as well, it's probably more geared towards sort of long-term travel. Mm -hmm. But I mean, some people, if if you have less experience traveling, even like a week-long vacation to somewhere completely new, if you've never been anywhere else outside of your home, you can Mm -hmm. experience these as well. So, Oh, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of people too who will do one-week vacations. Mm -hmm. And then one year they'll splurge and they'll do two or three weeks. And that Mm -hmm. extra time is when it hits home. It's not that... Well, stage one is the honeymoon stage. Okay. Which is normally those short doses. You go somewhere. It's amazing. You experience new things. Mm -hmm. And then you go home. So the entire trip is kind of a honeymoon. But that can be even beyond one week. That second week might be where the second stage hits. So it's funny that you say that because I always feel any culture shock that I've experienced, which in most Mm. places I've been, I've experienced some type of culture shock. I don't have, I don't feel like I have an initial honeymoon phase. Like I feel like it hits me straight away. And then it takes a few days until I'm in the stage of like, oh, I'm in the norm now and this is, but I mean, it, I guess it depends where I go. Like, I guess yeah, what maybe the honeymoon phase is the, the excitement when you first get somewhere and it's different. And yeah, I think that's it. I think every place is different. So sometimes when you go somewhere, you know, you're anticipating new languages, new foods, and that's what happens. And then, mm. you know, after it's not new anymore, when it's not new, it's not exciting. Right. And when it's not exciting, is when you start craving what you're comfortable with again. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, and for some people that can be a week and some people that can be a couple months, but that point inevitably comes where you creep into stage two, which is kind of hostility and irritability. So 
what's exciting isn't exciting anymore. You're craving, you know, foods you're used to, foods that comfort mm-hmm. you. You're craving someone to talk to in your native language. You're craving just all the things you're really comfortable with. I know you had talked about that when we moved to London, where you probably yes. got to that stage where you're like, I want a Canadian pub, and you found the Maple Leaf in Covent Garden <laughs> yes. and drank fake Canadian beer and ended up getting a job there. But um, <laughs> I guess that was the stage you were in, where you just were seeking just a bit of familiarity, something yeah. that felt like home. I mean, that was the stage I was always in <laughs> by there. Yeah. But I think, too... And there's different kinds of culture shock. So there's so many different ways. It can be food. It can be culture. It can be climate. But for me, it was in Canada. I lived in, you know, a town where the population was 100,000, mm-hmm. which was big to me at the time. Right. It's not now. I had my own house. I had my dogs. I had like a five car car driveway. Like I just had really that kind of not picket fence life, but that like home well, you know, buy a house and then moving to London, it was like big city, transit, all good things. Urban living. That, yeah. That, I think that's what it was. You weren't used to urban living. You were used yeah. to more suburban living. And that's, you know, that's fine. But, you know, people think like a place like England and Canada that you won't ex- experience any culture shock. Right. Um, and even I did as well. Like, uh, you know, because I was living in downtown Toronto at the time. So I was used to a big city. Mm-hmm. But not as big as London. Yeah. I think, you know, it took a while. I, I probably adapted a little bit quicker than you did, but yeah. I can see coming from, <laughs> again, living in a, a house in a small city to, you know, not driving a car, getting on the bus. remember taking the bus for the first time and not knowing how to get off. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> to to take a bus for the first time in London, England, yeah, that's a, that's a big step. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, I think, um, again, you can experience like, you know, culture shock in yeah countries that you would not anticipate. Countries that maybe, you know, speak the same language as you. I'm sure there's places in the U.S. that as Canadians, even if we went over, you know, because the U.S. isn't all the same. Right. From East Coast to West Coast to Middle oh, America. The U.S. is like so many different countries in one. Exactly. And even like Canada is another great example. Everyone's predominantly in English speaking, but then you get to the French part of Canada and there's parts of Quebec where people don't speak any English. I mean, even that could be a shock and you're like, well, how do I, how do I get around this? So yeah, it's just, I guess, adapting to it. Definitely. Some other ones I've experienced here, and this touches on what you just said earlier about that initial culture shock. Like you Mm -hmm. land and it's like, boom, in your face. Yeah. I've had that, and this is where the first time I went to Morocco, and I did anticipate it because I knew Morocco's, you know, a Muslim country, their main language there is Arabic, their second language is French, Mm -hmm. so I knew there was going to be the language shock, the culture shock, I anticipated it. So I landed, this is one of the first place ever I scheduled a driver to be there to pick me up with my name on a sign. Because mm-hmm. I was like, cool, don't want to be overwhelmed, just want to get to my where I'm staying easily. So there was a driver there waiting for me. And the driver was from an excursion I'd booked for a few days later. That was, they just offered airport pickup. Mm-hmm. So I get up to him and it's kind of first immediately. They're like, oh, you got to pay us cash for the the remaining balance of the excursion. Which I hadn't been told. So already I'm like, is something shady going on here? And then, but I'm like, you know what, whatever, I'll just pay it. And it was legit. Right. And then get in the van, driving through Morocco, Mar- Marrakesh. And then we come to this kind of stop. And he's like, okay, you got to get out here. Um, there's a guy with a cart. We're going to give him your bags and he'll take you the rest of the way. And we were like, me and my girlfriend that I was with, we were so freaked out by this. We're like, no, yeah. like the website said you were going to take us direct to our hostel. And we were just, we were convinced at this point we were going to die for some reason. <laughs> because also his English was limited. Yeah. So he was kind of just explaining, you get out, go with him. <laughs> like, oh, and they often do that. Like you've said that I've been transferred from, because they'll sometimes get drivers do the airport pickup and then they bring you to like either someone that works at the hostel or they work for the tour company. Mm-hmm. Like they'll get drivers that are maybe work for like they just sort of work together. Well, what it turned out to be, and it was totally legit. We just didn't know is 
obviously when you get when once you've been to Marrakesh, you understand the whole vibe and cool aspect of Marrakesh is the sooks and all the little back roads and yeah. crannies and these areas you walk through and they joke like they say if you haven't gotten lost in the sooks of Marrakesh, have you even been to Marrakesh? Yeah. Our hostel entrance was up in the sooks. So right. we had to, the van didn't like the van couldn't physically no. drive through them. You can't drive through those markets. The streets and the little alleyways are so small. And the right. whole point is to walk through them. <laughs> like, yeah. <that's... laughs> so the driver just took us as far as he could on the road. And then they'd organized a man who had a cart behind him. So we weren't dragging right. our luggage. It was all perfectly executed. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. And thankfully for us, it was that weird moment of we're like this doesn't like this seems fishy but in my gut i'm like i think this is right and i just don't know what's going on right um so we went there and we got to our hostel and we were both like oh like that was all totally normal <laughs> i'd imagine as well like walking through this the markets and the the sooks in marrakesh like that would have been an overload on uh like a shock to the system because i know it was for me when i first went to morocco and in Marrakesh walking through it, I remember seeing like a chicken's head being cut off. And I remember immediately like grimacing, you know, I saw that and I was like, oh. and I kind of became a little bit hostile only because I was Ooh. really uncomfortable, not hostile to anyone. I was by myself, but I remember just like feeling really uncomfortable. I was getting a lot of just like attention, you know, again, mm-hmm. being really tall and blonde. But yeah, I remember when I saw a chicken's head being like cut off. And I was like, where am I? And I went into that stage of feeling a bit hostile and people would come up to me and try to sell me things. And I was just being really not aggressive back, but standoffish almost. And I feel like I was in the stage that we're talking about now. Yeah. I mean, it it is, it's reasonable because it is so different. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, I think, you know, we talk all the time about doing research before you go and anticipating what's going to be different from what you're used to. Yeah. And thankfully on that trip, I'd anticipated it, but I still wasn't necessarily prepared for it. Well, and I guess that's where it comes into acknowledging what you're feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where if I knew then what I know now and because I'm a bit more well-traveled, like that moment of me just feeling really just grimacing at, you know, the markets and the chicken getting its head cut off. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize what I was experiencing then was culture shock. I yeah. didn't get it. I just thought I didn't like, you know, it, what was kind of going through my mind was like, I don't like it here. I want to go home. And I'd only been there for like a few hours. Oh geez. But, really? But, well, and, and because I was by myself as well. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, right. I feel like if I'm on my own and going into a place like Marrakesh in the busy streets mm-hmm. and markets, it's very overwhelming. It's overwhelming yes. if you're with other people, but yep. I'd never experienced anything like it. But again, if I knew then what I knew now, I was definitely going through the, the phases of, you know, the different stages of culture shock. Yeah. Is there anywhere else you can think of where you've been, where you've had that immediate culture shock? Like I said before, I feel like all countries I've visited, I've had experience a bit of culture shock but I remember when I went to Jordan a couple years ago now that one I don't know what it was but I got there really late I was really tired I had just come from Oman and even though Oman is also a Muslim country there was something that really just like struck me in Jordan and I think I remember it's when I was staying at a a hostel and I was in bed and it was like four o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden, like right near my window, they started doing the first like morning call to prayer mm-hmm. and it was really, really loud and it was over a speaker. And at first it didn't really register like what it was. It was just really like, I was quite like, I don't know, like kind of freaked me out a little bit because all I heard is just this big voice coming over a speaker in the middle of, you know, the center of Amman. And I'm like, what, what's happening? And then I realized what it was and I was like, oh, I think this might be called to prayer. And I Googled it because you can actually see what times they do them at every yeah. day. And it was, that was the first one. And then it was actually kind of cool. I was like, you know, even though it woke me up every like half an hour or something, they were doing them super frequently this day. Um, it was quite cool to just be laying in bed, having this experience of like, oh, I'm in a Muslim country and this is part of their culture. But it did initially... So it shocked me a bit. 
And I was like, what? does this happen like all the time? And I was talking to the guy at the hostel. He's like, yeah, that's normal. Like, and we live in, you know, the center of Amman. So we hear it all I, the time. See, and I find this example so interesting because it's not like the Muslim call to prayer was new to you. You at no. this point have been to Morocco. You've been to Egypt. You've been in Muslim countries where they do the call to prayers, mm-hmm. but something on that trip I think you about it. I find that so interesting. Well, and you're right, because I remember the first time I had seen a call to prayer was in Morocco mm-hmm. and it was sort of like midday. Well, same. They had like the speakers in the in the middle of uh, Marrakesh. Yeah. And I and I was like, oh, what's happening? And I was with some people then and they told me and I was like, oh, this is quite cool. But yeah, in Jordan, I think I don't know if it was because it was sort of the middle of the night. It was, I hadn't explored any of Jordan yet. I just got there. Like I got there really late the night before. So I went straight to bed and just, I was in a super unfamiliar place, right? Like I hadn't, I think that was it. I hadn't explored anything during the day. So I got there, went to bed and then I was awoken by, and when I say the speaker was Uh. like, right. Yeah. It was right by my window. So it was just a bit kind of like, I like sprung up in bed. I'm like, what's happening? But I think so. Maybe that's part of it that, you know, one of the things that, is definitely important when you go anywhere new and you're experiencing culture shock. Like it's very easy to kind of burrow away um, because you feel uncomfortable, but get out and actually explore the area around at least where you're staying, you know? Um, And if you are staying in a city set, and that's the thing when I, when I checked, looked in the area the next morning when I woke up and it was sunny out and um, I could see everything in the daytime. Like I looked and I'm like, oh, like my hostel is right in the middle of the sort of busy city center, which would make sense. And then I heard the prayers going on for the rest of the day and, you know, I felt at ease. Yeah. What about you? Are there any places you've gone that like shocked you? Like any countries that you were actually surprised that you were experiencing culture shock? Definitely a couple cases where I anticipated it, but one I didn't was on my around the world trip. The first country I went to was Brazil. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Sao Paulo first, but it hit me in Rio de Janeiro mm-hmm. was that I think in my mind, I thought of Rio as this touristy place because they host carnival every year. It's a big thing. And I just they had just hosted the Olympics and the World Cup. Like mm-hmm. I was just expecting a very tourist friendly city. And I got there and immediately realized almost no one spoke English. Right. Which is one of those things in hindsight, probably could have figured that out beforehand. Didn't even cross my mind to think about it because I had these assumptions about it. Um, So when I got there and I realized immediately I could communicate with no one, that one hit me. Yeah. And of course, like you be resourceful and you have Google Translate and you write things down that you want to say to people. So we figured, I figured it out, but it, it hit me. I think I just was not expecting it. I really thought there'd be more English speakers there. I'd been told that all the retail and kind of hospitality workers had learned English for all these major international events. But I guess once I got there and I was actually talking to people, I spent a month in Brazil. So once I got to know people, they're like, yeah, we were supposed to. (laughs) No one did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They thought it was. They weren't making it easy on you. No. Um, so that one really hit me. I just really thought of, I had a very different image in my mind of what Rio is and was and would be. And then reality hit me when I got there. I I feel like language is probably the most common one where, you know, and it's like you said, you, you, you know, some of these, and in this case, I guess you didn't know they didn't speak English, Mm -hmm. but like some countries you go to, you will know that English is not their first language. And yeah. It doesn't even matter how much prep you put into it or learn the basics of that language. When you get there, it's still going to like shock your system. And all you can do is just manage it, you know, as best yeah. you can and, and everything you've done to prepare for it. So like you said, having like, you know, Google translate available knowing a few words, like just take a deep breath. You can get really overwhelmed. And then that's when you get into the stage of being like hostile and anxiety comes out, you know? Yeah. I I think just being really vigilant and paying attention to what's going on. But that was one of like running through the streets of Brazil was actually ended up being one of my favorite memories. So even though, 
it was a culture shock forcing myself out and dealing with it turned into one of my best memories of the entire country. Well, and I think that's the most important part where, you know, as we said with culture shock, it can cause anxiety, uncertainty. It's just you're in a space that's unfamiliar. It's like the cat that I'm cat sitting this week. The first two days he stayed under my bed. You know, he's in a new environment. He's like, whoa, this is too much for me to handle. So, like, we don't want to be cats and just hiding under a bed. You need to go out eventually. You need to adapt and you need to explore. Actually, what a great, what a great analogy. So, this cat's staying with me this week. He's experiencing culture shock. So he's <laughs> in actually the third stage of gradual adjustment. Yes. I think he's past it now. I mean, he's just, he's literally sleeping at my feet right now. But <laughs> yes, there was gradual adjustment where he was sort of exploring new areas in the flat, finding new places to sleep. But then, you know, he'd hear a, a noise from like the kids next door and then he'd scurry back under the bed. <laughs> so yes. So adjustment. Let's go into the next stage of adjustment. Yes. So how, so by gradual adjustment, I mean, it essentially just means you've got to get out of your comfort zone. Um, yeah. And again, it's, it's easy to just find the comforts of home. And I think I had talked about this before, even like being a, an expat over here in the UK. And one of my pet peeves was meeting other Canadians <laughs> who all they wanted to do was sit around and talk about being Canadian all the time. And I'm like, and sit at the Maple Leaf pub on the regular, you know, I get, if you, <laughs> I get if you're going for, you know, a drink cause you need one day out of the seven days a week to have a little like, like familiarity to your own culture but they would stay there all the time um but this is where you need to start trying new things you know food i think food is another big one for for shock to the system in terms of culture if you especially if you're a picky eater steph i know you're a picky eater but i feel like you still try new foods you will yeah so well and depending on what what i do when i travel that makes me feel i don't know if safe is the right word but Mm. When it comes to new food, I don't think I'm a picky eater, but everyone says I am. You're um, you're a picky eater. When I go traveling, <laughs> what I do is I just go vegetarian because that solves almost all my problems. Because, yeah, I don't eat fish or anything out of the water. I'm picky about food on the bone. And- this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How the animals were treated and so I just go vegetarian and that actually solves my problems and I get some of the most flavorful dishes while I'm traveling because of it it's an easy adaptation I find yeah well I mean regardless if you're if it's meat or not mm-hmm. I mean I think wherever you are whatever the cuisine is mm-hmm. try it don't you know it's very easy to turn your nose away from 
new foods because you don't like the smell or the look or how it's been prepared. You know, it's fair. I think it's easy as well to get quite, you know, you don't want to come off snobby or too good for whatever, not, not even just cuisine, but anything where because you're uncomfortable, then you make people from that country uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if I'm the best example for this. But that's why I find being vegetarian so easy because vegetables, no matter how they're prepared, different flavors, different preparations, there should still be, you know, this underlying comfort level in the food itself, no matter what it is. Yeah. Um, but you're, but so you're still trying new foods, right? Like if we yeah. talk a curry, for example, we'll use curry yes. for, as a great example because yes. some people mm-hmm. are very, you know, I live in England. And curry is like the national dish here. So everyone loves a curry here. Um, it's Indian the first curry. thing we do every time I come visit you. Yeah, I get I mean, there and I'm like, curry. We have the best Indian curry restaurants in the world in England. That is a fact. And so, yeah, if we talk curries, like you can get curries with meat. You can get curries with veg. I mean, some people, I feel like it can be an overwhelming dish. The smells and the sight and everything. Especially if it's new. Yeah. Exactly. If it's a new food, but you know, say you are visiting India, mm-hmm. you've got to eat a curry in India. Or oh, I mean, even in so Thailand, good. you've got to eat a Thai curry or a Pad Thai. But all these foods, like you said, you can get them whether they're veggie or, you know, have meat in them or even seafood. If you only eat seafood, you know, you can find things that will still fit into your picky eating if you are a picky eater. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and maybe try to assess, you know, if someone puts something new in front of you, are you not eating it because, because it's different or, you know, maybe there is, I don't know, like stuff, you don't like mushrooms, I maybe. Okay, fine. If there's mushrooms in it, fine. Don't eat it, but <laughs> yeah. don't turn away food just because it's different. Um, right. and if you are, and if someone is offering it to you, be polite, yes. you know, don't yes. get into that hostile stage. Because it's very easy to get into the hostile stage and be like, oh, I don't want this. This smells bad. Or, you know, don't grimace. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've been in those situations quite a bit where I think, especially when I was in Luxor, I was there for Eid, which is the celebration at the end of Ramadan. Mm -hmm. And I was staying with an Egyptian family and they served us a traditional meal. And there were many things where if someone tried to give me that in Canada, I'd have been like, nope. Uh, and I was just like, you know what? I'm here. I'm going all in. Yeah, so at least eat. try it. I tried things I would never try. And you know what? I survived. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think with anything, whether it's trying new food, if it's trying a new activity, I mean, you'll go to some countries where, you know, the sports might be different. I've got a friend from Colombia, and mm-hmm. she was telling me that the big, the big sport there, it's called Tejo. Okay. And they basically throw... I don't know, I think it's like rocks or something um, at gunpowder. And it's like, it's almost like, it looks like you're throwing like a, ho- okay. like a horseshoe. Yeah. And it's like a, but that, but that's what I mean. We're going like, oh, that's weird. But that's yeah. what they play in Colombia, you know? So it's like, yeah, not weird to them. If I was there, I said to my friend, I'm like, I want to play Tejo when we go to mm-hmm. Colombia together. Um, but it's these experiences that is going to get you through into adaption right into the mm-hmm. adaption stage so right now we're in what gradual what is it called again gradual adjustment gradual adjustment so it's doing things it's trying new foods trying these new activities that you would think at home would be crazy like throwing oh. bean bags or rocks at gunpowder <laughs> and not just that we come at these things as you know canadians going abroad but imagine mm. people moving to canada trying to adjust to a canadian winter that is going to be a gradual adjustment. Yeah. It's so, not going to be fun when you're used to, you know, 30 degrees Celsius year round and suddenly it's negative 40. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a shock. Yeah. That's a massive shock. So you've got, yeah, food, activity, lifestyle, climate. And that is a big one, like you said. Um, and how do you adapt to that in a cold place like Canada? First of all, get yourself a good jacket. <laughs> Yeah, everything is about once you push through it, you'll eventually adapt to it. Yeah. Which brings us into our next stage of adaptation. Right. When you're kind of at this stage, you're kind of, you're overcoming the differences and you're, you almost are getting a sense of belonging in the new environment. Yeah. So it's starting to become, even if you're, again, we we said, even if you're away for like a week, you know, that neighborhood that you're staying in almost, it becomes your new neighborhood and you're used to seeing, and that's another thing. You might find one thing that you do every day that you put into 
manage that into your routine. So whether it's going to the same coffee shop every morning to get a, you know, coffee that's downstairs from your hostel or whatever, just doing things that start to feel like a new normal. Yes. The first time I did kind of a month long Euro trip back in 2013 now, oh my God. Mm -hmm. And I started in Paris and ended in Paris. And where I was staying, I didn't realize when I booked it, wasn't the greatest neighborhood. So when I first arrived there, it was sketchy. People were fighting in the street. Like, it, I was like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Uh, stayed there for a couple days, saw all the sites of Paris, did it, got used to it. And then I went on and went to a number of other countries. And when I got back to Paris a few days before I had to leave, when I got off at that train stop to go back to that same hostel... And there was literally two fights happening as I was there. I was like, ah, I'm back. (laughs) Yeah. It was almost what was so scary. The first time just a few weeks earlier was suddenly like, oh, yeah, this is what we do here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, eventually everything becomes a new normal. I mean, look at us during COVID. Like, yeah, you you adapt. We all adapt. We've kind of adapted now. And this one I found so interesting because I've experienced it, but I've never put a term to it before. Mm -hmm. The fifth stage, it's called re-entry travel shock. So it's once you go back home and what was once normal to you isn't normal anymore. Yeah. So you're looking at everything you once were comfortable with through a new lens and you're experiencing culture shock It's almost like reverse culture shock a little bit, I guess, where everything you thought was normal or was safe or was comfortable suddenly is that isn't anymore either. And this is exactly why expats often have a really hard time readjusting um, Mm -hmm. when they go home. So I'll use me as an example. Like when you and I left 10 years ago and came over to London, like, yeah, that was scary. Yeah, it took a bit of a time to adapt to a new culture over here. But the thought of going home, I feel like would be actually a lot harder Mm -hmm. and more of a shock to my system because it's almost like when you go back home, you expect things to be exactly the same and they're not. Things have changed. Right. Right. So that's where it can be. And I don't know, like a time frame, how long does that take to happen? Who knows? People can go away for a month, you know, and they can go home and they're like, oh, you know, even climate, if they go back home to cold weather, you know, that's a shock to your system. If you've been somewhere that's hot for a month or two months or six months or whatever it is. Um, So, yeah, I think people forget about this, this sort of, yeah, as you said, reverse culture shock. I think, too, when I was traveling for a year, when I went home, I think I was also expecting things to be different. And it's a very weird feeling when you've changed so much as a person, you've seen so many new Mm. things, like your eyes have been open to different cultures, and then you go back home and everything's as it was. It's almost like a time warp. Like you're, maybe it was only a year ago since you were last there, but it feels like you're traveling backwards in time 10 years ago. Yeah, that's Um, true. And then that's when you risk becoming that travel snob we've talked about in our travel snobbery episode, where... You're just trying to, like, educate everyone on how cultured you now are. (laughs) Well, it's not even educated. It's just, like, talking about, you know, that was your life or is your life. And if people can't relate to it. Yeah. You know? And I guess it goes the same in, yeah, when you go over to a new place, that initial culture shock. You're trying to talk to people about, you know, where you're from. Again, us using Canada as an example. Mm -hmm. And they can't relate to it. So you do feel like an outsider. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Steph, do you think if you moved home to Canada now, you would experience that reverse culture shock? Oh, I think I definitely would. I think I, I'm i going on three years in Australia now. I think I would have the weather shock. I've, I adjusted yes. very quickly to the Australian climate. <laughs> and I hate being cold. So I think I would definitely have that. Um I, I would. I def- It would hit me so hard. I wouldn't even know what to do. I'd feel like I was going back to a different time in my life. It's kind of like I bought a house, my first house when I was 23. And I remember then, you know, you and I moved to London and everything happened. And when I went, when I went back to Canada, people were like, oh, are you going to move back into your house? And I ca- said, no, like that would feel like I was going back to my old life. Yeah. And I would have that same feeling. I don't think I could no it's in the past it'd be too definitely too weird one of the things i always say that would be a shock to my system going back now so the weather one thing yeah winter weathers because again we don't get those 
crazy snowstorms and minus whatever godly number it is in Canada these days. Um, But (laughs) drinking in public. (laughs) Oh, right. Well, because you can't like it's so funny, like something as small as that in the UK, you can openly like crack open a beer. You could do that in Australia as well. No, sit in a park with a beer, have drinks. You can walk down the street with open alcohol. I mean, there's a big difference between between drinking a beer walking down the street and then being publicly intoxicated, which that is still not okay around. Well, it's not as strict over here, but like going home to, I I feel like places like Toronto, it's a little bit more lenient now where they let people sit in the park and like have a couple drinks. But I remember when I lived there, if you were caught with an open beer, just sitting around with your friends in a park, like you get a fine on the spot. I've definitely got those fines. Yeah. Oh, I have as well. <laughs> but yeah, so little things like that where you sort of you get used to, like in the summers in London. I mean, that's a big part of the culture here. You sit out in the parks, you meet up with your friends, you crack a few tinnies, crack a few ciders. Everyone drinks outside. It's just a normal but I yeah, forgot home. about that completely. Yeah, when we moved to London, I remember the first night we went out, we were walking to the pub yes. with a group of people and we had our drinks and I instinctively like did that little like drink tuck well, on my side. To, we like... saw a, a police officer drive by <laughs> yeah. and Steph and I and both I... had our road pops, as we call them in Canada, and we saw the police officer and both of us, yeah, instinctively covered <laughs> the beer with our jackets and yeah. it was my friend Mike that was with us. And he sort of looked and he laughed. And Mike's Canadian as well. And he was like, what are you doing? We're like, oh, there's a police officer there. If they see us with the cans of beer. And Mike's like, it's perfectly legal to drink on the streets <laughs> yeah. here. And I remember Steph and I were like, what? And we like cheers to each other. We're like, yeah, sweet. And then like necked back our beer like the absolute classy ladies that we are. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm so old. When you said about Australia, like drinking in the street, I'm like, I don't even know. Like I'm just... I, I haven't even tried. I mean, you say drinking in the street as if like I'm walking down the street with a beer in my hand, like seven o'clock in the morning. Like, no, I'm talking just like drinking in public Lush. in the parks. Perfectly acceptable to yeah. bring. So you mean you're not going to get a $200 fine sitting yeah. on the beach with a cooler? Exactly. Like I have a few times in Canada. Yeah, that's it. You're not going to get done for, for having a couple drinks. I mean, again, if you're being a drunken fool in the middle of the street, yes, the police will. I love that our reason to not go back to Canada is because we can't drink in public. Well, no, I'm not saying it's not, (laughs) I'm saying it's not a reason, but I'm saying if I did go back, it'd be one of those things Mm. I'd potentially forget about. And I'd be sitting in a park, crack open a beer, and then I get a ticket. And I'm like, oh, hold on. Here's, here's, here's what I have for you. I I don't know, because I know you drove a lot in Canada, and you don't drive so much in the UK as often. Mm-hmm. Do you Have you ever had any of the weirdness switching back and forth between which side you drive on? Well, I don't drive here. I've never driven on okay. the left-hand side. So, oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, I don't drive here at all, but, but you know, sometimes people are like, oh, when you go home, do you forget how to drive? I'm like, no. I yeah. get in the car. I mean, my license does expire on Sunday, though. I just realized. So <clears throat> I won't be driving for the, the foreseeable future. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, I have that. I don't have that. I've gotten very used to switching left to right. I had it was a bit of a shock when I moved to Australia, for sure. Yeah. Um. But no, yeah, now I've become a lefty and a righty. I just it, it all comes naturally. There you go. It's like riding a bike, right? <laughs> Yeah. Everyone rides a bike the same in all (laughs) countries, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) So speaking of that, I feel like you did the adaption and stuff a lot better than I did. You obviously stayed in London. I ended up going home. You did it better. Do you have any (laughs) tips or like, what did you find helpful? I think, I mean, I'm not going to talk specifically being an expat, but just in terms of overall culture shock. I think the number one thing I always find, what I love doing, and I always tell people to do this, especially certain countries that they go to, is just a bit of people watching. Finding mm. a good spot so you get there, you're feeling overwhelmed. And a great example of this is um, when I went to Bangkok. Bangkok, for anyone that's been, it is very. it can be a very overwhelming city. There's people everywhere, there's cars everywhere, there's just a lot going on. I went down, a friend had actually suggested this to do. He was like, go down to Kosen Road. So Kosen Road is like the markets. They've got all the food stalls and bars and restaurants. And he's like, there's tons of people down there. And I'm thinking like, 
why would I want to go there? Like my first night, it's going to be too much. He's like, no, 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 hear me out. He's like, go to Kosen Road. You can get a foot massage because they've got all like the the masseurs or masseuses yes. up and down the road. He's like, go I like grab this a- already. Yeah. He's like, go grab a couple beers from mm-hmm. one of the shops that costs like a dollar or whatever. Then go get an hour long foot massage and just sit at the side of the road and people watch and just start getting used to what's happening around you. And so I did. And sure enough, I felt much more relaxed. Granted, I was getting a massage, but yeah. just people watching, like looking at what was going on around me, taking it all in. So you're not participating. Exactly. You're just watching like a slow ease in. Exactly. So you're just observing what's happening around you. So I, every time I have any friends going to Bangkok for the first time, this is what I always tell them to do as well. And without mm-hmm. fail, they're always like, yes, that was the best advice. And They've now passed it along to their friends. But I feel like you can do similar things in in lots of different places. And Marrakesh, you know, that's another one. Well, you know, you can't get a foot massage there. But, you know, you can go into the market, have a seat. You know, they've got lots of food stalls around there. Maybe have something to eat or drink. And just people watch. Look around you. Look what's going on. You can do this in any city, any place. Find a busy area, even though it might feel overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And just chill for a bit and take it all in. I love it. Yeah. So... Also, I think just saying, saying yes to any opportunities. I mean, obviously within reason. Yeah. Um, but I think that was, you know, if we talk about specifically moving over to London, I think I talked about it before adapting to that expat life. I said yes to things. People were like, come, do you want to come do this? I'm inviting you to this. Do you want to try this? And I just started saying yes. And then you become, because again, it's very easy to say no because you feel uncomfortable yeah. and out of your comfort zone. Um, and I remember even when I went to Rome for the first time by myself, and again, it wasn't an overwhelming feeling of culture shock, but it's still, you know, same, like a lot of people didn't speak English. Um, and I had met this Italian guy who was really cool and he invited me to this party. No, it wasn't like that. I think I already talked about this guy before and it was not a, a romantic thing whatsoever. He was just like a cool guy. Um, and he invited me to like some party that night with him and his friends. And I'm like, do you know what? Fuck it. Why not? And I went and had the best time. And I actually felt really comfortable in Rome mm-hmm. for the rest of my time there because I just felt like I knew some locals then. I had yeah. gone to something that was sort of off the beaten track. I'm saying that in sort of quotes because I know we also hate that term, but <laughs> it fits. Um, if you say yes to things, you'll start exploring different areas that might not be the common places. And you just start to become... You know, you feel a lot more comfortable with the space. Um, and, yeah. and then that you add in like, yeah, the people and the lifestyle and the food and culture and that all just uh, ties in. So say yes to things again, within reason. I'm not telling you to be unsafe, but right. that's how you start to experience things. And then I think also, you know, just making friends with other travelers. I think that mm-hmm. it's so easy if you can meet someone in a hostel or wherever you're staying and if you can both sort of talk about the culture shock that you're experiencing be like oh hey like Mm -hmm. how did you feel did you try this food yet or did you do this or I think you'll immediately feel at ease once you find other people whether you're traveling solo or with friends if you meet other or other travelers with your friends yeah then you can form like a little group and you can experience all these new culture shocks together and almost you know talk about them and get through it and I think it definitely helps too to feel like you're not the only one feeling like that exactly sometimes I think when I think of culture shock and I go somewhere and maybe you're laying in your hostel bed and you're not really motivated to go out because it's a bit overwhelming just realizing that because you can almost you can almost have this thought in your mind that you know everyone else finds it easy yeah and it's only overwhelming to you and when you realize no they're just all powering through it also. Yeah. That really helps. Yeah. Exactly. I think something I would also recommend too for people who aren't in a hostel and they don't really know what to do to overcome it is that is when booking kind of a day trip or a driver or something just comes in really handy. Oh, yeah. Like someone who's with you to guide you through the process, guide you through maybe your first day to really just plow through those feelings of uncomfortableness mm-hmm. yeah and get you through it and sometimes that's where I find too booky if I anticipate you know that I'm going to be a bit overwhelmed booking it in advance too so it's not like you're committed yeah, you've got a plan in place as well I think that's a really good point and with a lot of these bookings you do if it's say a, a day excursion and that you'll meet other people 
on those trips mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I agree. Having a plan in place um, specifically for those countries that you know you're going to experience that culture shock and you really can't avoid it. But even some of the countries where maybe this is just, it could be good practice on the first day that you're anywhere new, book getting something booked in, whether it's a walking tour or yes, something. Yes, we love a walking tour. Because as we said at the beginning of this, you can go to new countries or places where you don't think you're going to experience culture shock, and you do, and it comes unexpectedly. But if you've got something planned then, mm-hmm. you know, like a walking tour or day trip or something, then at least you can kind of get over it and not feel overwhelmed from it, right? Yes. Do you know what the biggest culture shock for me in Australia was? What's that? Christmas in the summer. Oh, yeah. That would be weird. You just have barbecues, right? Christmas barbecues. I'm- Yeah, I didn't see it coming. I never thought about it because I love the heat. And there was just there's something about that Canadian Christmas with the snow and the cold. And I only Mm -hmm. love it for one day at home. It's not like I love the season. But come Christmas, the the shock of it. I didn't have that Christmas. I'm a big Christmas person. Yeah. So that year it was almost like Christmas never happened. Yeah, I mean, I guess I had that when I went to, because I spent Christmas in Thailand a few years ago, mm-hmm. and it was the same thing. Granted, I wasn't living there, so that's different, and I knew that it wasn't going to be cold, and, and it was a bit different because they don't really celebrate Christmas in Thailand, but they were accommodating to all, you know, people go there on holiday over the winter, so westerners coming over they had christmas trees and all the christmas decorations up um and it was the same i'm like oh god yeah it's christmas this is bizarre but it's like 30 degrees <laughs> so yeah i can imagine you living in a new country yeah it's it's a weird one so yeah our tips people watch try new mm-hmm. foods immerse yes. yourself in the culture i think it's so easy to look at something that's different and go yep. that's different i'm not getting involved get involved book the walking tour book the trip the more you can surround yourself with people yeah. of the culture that you'll begin to understand the culture and yeah. once you do that honestly it sounds cliche but it's not you become a better person for it yes and to remember that you know why you travel this is exactly why people travel is to experience different cultures yeah so you got to embrace it that's why you're there Get out of your comfort zone, experience new things. And as Steph said, you'll become a better person for it. Alrighty. Well, thanks as always for listening. See you next week. All the Shit I've Learned Abroad is a travel podcast focused on anything and everything related to travel. You can listen to us on multiple platforms from iTunes to Google Play Music and more. And with that, please, if you have a chance, give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. That drives us up the charts and really, really helps us out. Want to support us on Patreon? Find us over at Shit Have Learned Abroad Pod. Donations start as low as just $1. Also, if you could follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Shit Abroad Pod and Facebook by searching all the shit I've learned abroad. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.